Would you turn with me again to the book of 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin reading with verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to kings as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. This is the word of the Lord. Peter's letter as we've seen so far, covers two major themes. He begins with this theme of hope, how that we have been born again through the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us on the cross. That Because God loved us, He sent His Son to die for us, to save us. We have hope in this life that our sins are forgiven, that we're freed from bondage and slavery to sin. And we have hope that extends into Eternity, that even when this life is over, that we have hope in Christ that will never end. We will spend all eternity in the kingdom of God with our Lord who loved us and saved us. And then he moves into this theme of holiness. And this is where Peter spends most of his time. And I don't want you to think that these things are totally separate. They work together. They come as a pair because hope produces holiness. Hope that we have in Christ in this life and in the next leads us to live holy lives. And most people are are okay with speaking about holiness generally. That God is holy. He wants us to be holy. He has made us holy in Christ. The way we live holy lives in the hope of Jesus and how it serves to advance the witness of the gospel. But people start getting a little antsy whenever you start getting specific when it comes to holiness. So our hope in Christ leads us to holy living, and holy living leads us to having a faithful gospel witness. Holy li- or hope in Christ leads to holy living, holy living leads to gospel witness. Remember back in verse 9, Peter told us who we are in Christ. He said, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are His own special people. But He had a purpose for us in that. Because the verse didn't end with those things. He says that 
you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God has given us hope in Christ, not just so that we can be saved, have our uh, home in heaven secure, we got our get out of hell free card, and we can coast through life until the end. No, He has given us hope in Christ. He's made us His own special people so that we can proclaim His praises to those who are still in darkness and need to be brought into His marvelous light. Those who are still not a people, but whom God desires to make His own people. To those who are not under His mercy, but whom He desires to obtain mercy. So verse 12, as we finished last week, Peter said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, living this holy life before them, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. The way you live your life before an unbelieving world certainly, certainly has an effect on their receptivity to the gospel. Their willingness to hear the gospel depends more than you would think on the way you live your life as a Christian. So verse 12, this conducting ourselves honorably so that unbelievers will come to the point of being saved and glorifying God, that serves sort of as a a launching pad for really the rest of Peter's letter. Note verse 13, he begins with the word, therefore. So Peter wants us to be clear from here to the rest of the book what this honorable conduct looks like in very specific contexts. So know over these next few, I started to say weeks, months, the preacher's not just meddling in your life. This is what the Word of God says. Peter wants us to know how to live holy lives in some very specific contexts. And all of these are applicable to most of us, at least in some way. So today, as we've looked and read at verse 13 through 17, Peter discusses this specific context of the Christian's relationship to government or to authority. Isn't that exciting? Are y'all just ready to hear this today? I'm ready to talk about it. Peter's talking about the Christian's relationship to government, to authority. How should Christians relate to human authority? And it's a valid question because everything that we're told in verse 9 makes us sort of think that we're above human authority. Because you are, in fact, a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own special people. And so we realize that in a sense, we are above human government. We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of God's kingdom. And we should rejoice in that. And I don't want for one second to diminish that. You should rejoice in that. That you have been elevated in Christ to that level. You are a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God. Rejoice in that, please. But we must realize, we must not forget that we still live right here, right now. And we have to function in the world and in the particular environments in which God has placed us. 
We're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. But we're also, for the time being, citizens of earth. And in our case specifically, of the United States. And more specifically, North Carolina. And more specifically, Surrey County. You are here right now, and you have to live here. You're not in heaven yet. So how do we do that? As God's people, as a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of heaven, how should you relate here and now to human government, to human authority? And that's the question that Peter answers in this section of his letter. And for all you note takers, I'm going to make it really easy on you today. I have one point. You ready for it? Here it is. Verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's it. That's the answer. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's your command. That is what God expects of you in your relationship to human government. The rest of verse 13 down through verse 16, he elaborates on that. We'll unpack it a little bit, but that's really the gist of it. So if you don't get anything else, get this. Here's your responsibility to human authority while you're on earth as a Christian. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Notice this. He says, submit yourselves. This is an act of the will. Sometimes you see these protests go on on TV or, or online. Somebody's got a video with their phone. And people are protesting and, and they're doing something illegal. And the police come in and, and they start to remove them. And the people just fall down limp, right? And they've got to literally drag them by their, their arms or their legs to get them out of the way, out of the road or wherever it is. Christians are not to be that kind of people that have to be submitted by force. Peter says, submit yourselves. Your submission to human government ought to be an act of the will. You ought to do it willingly. And he says this specifically. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Every ordinance of man. And I want to point this out. That doesn't just mean the ones you agree with. The ones that you think are right. There are some places that I drive and the speed limit is 25 miles per hour per hour and I think that is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> there is no traffic, there's no houses, it's wide open road, but that sign says I have to drive 25 miles per hour. Guess what? God's expectation for me as a Christian living under human authority on earth is to submit myself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. I've got friends who think, well, the government has no right to tell me I have to wear a seatbelt. Well, you can think that if you want to, but it's still a law. And as a Christian, you have to submit yourself to human authority for the Lord's sake. I'm thankful that this sermon didn't come up last year. And that's all I'll say about that and move on. Now, are there any exceptions to that? Are there any times in which it is right for us to disobey an ordinance of man? 
an ordinance of human government. And I'll just say this. I don't think I have to say this. You understand it, but I just want to be clear. The only exception is when government commands us to do something or not to do something that clearly contradicts the command of God. God's rule comes before the rule of man. We've been reading on Wednesdays in the book of Acts. We remember when Peter and John had healed the man, they preached, and the people were, or the leaders were getting upset that people were coming to them, so they arrested them. Uh, chapter 4, verse 18 says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you be the judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so they threatened these men. They sent them out, told them not to speak in Jesus' name anymore. That's chapter 4. Well, chapter 5 comes. They're preaching again. They're arrested again. And when they had brought them, the Scriptures say, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They've disobeyed the commands of authority. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. That's what the Christian lives by. We ought to obey God rather than men. Should the time ever come whenever the, the role of government contradicts the role of Scripture in our lives, we fall on Scripture. We obey what God has commanded. Obedience to God is our top priority. But listen, it's precisely because we want to obey God that we must obey human authority. So if I ever hear of anyone in Simmons Grove Baptist Church being arrested, it had better be because you were preaching the gospel and someone told you to stop and you wouldn't. That's the only reason I would come visit you in jail. It's for preaching the gospel. But it's because we want to obey God that we obey the government. It's because we submit to God's authority that we submit to the authority of human government above us. Notice that Peter says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That ought to be reason enough for you to submit yourself to human government because you're commanded to do it for the Lord's sake. I don't often have you flip to other passages during a sermon, but turn to Romans 13 for just a minute. Romans chapter 13. Don't lose your place in 1 Peter 2. But turn to Romans 13. Going off what Peter has said about submitting for the Lord's sake, Paul says something essentially the same. He says in chapter 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. That's pretty clear. Scripture confirms Scripture, right? They don't contradict. For, Paul says, there is no authority except from whom? God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by whom? God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment 
on themselves. Do you remember when Jesus had been brought before Pilate to be tried before his execution? Pilate is questioning Jesus. Jesus doesn't answer Pilate the way Pilate had expected. He really doesn't answer him at all. And Pilate says, aren't you going to answer me? Don't you know that I have the power? I have authority to set you free. I have the power. I have the authority to condemn you to death. Don't you realize that, Jesus? And what does Jesus say back to Pilate? He says, You would have no authority if it had not been given to you by my Father. Even at the moment when Jesus was to be put to death by the governing authorities who were in power, even they had been appointed by God. We are to submit to the governing authorities over us because we want to submit to God, because we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe that God has His hand in this world, that He is at work in everything that goes on, whether we understand it or not. He has appointed those who are over us. There are those who, who have told me that they believe without a doubt that our former president was put there by God. And my response to those folks are, yes, I believe that just as much as I believe the current president has been put there by God. And the one before him too. There is no authority on this earth. There is no one who has any power or authority at all who has not received that power, who has not received that authority from God. And when you resist the authority that God has placed over you on earth, you are not just resisting that authority, but Paul is clear, you are resisting the authority of your God. And those who resist, he says, will bring judgment on themselves. That seems like strong language for a speed limit I don't agree with, doesn't it? He says in verse 3, Romans 13, For rulers are not a terror to good, but to evil. And he's speaking generally. Of course there are evil rulers. There are those in power who have nothing but sinful intentions. But those who are in authority, even if they aren't good, maintain more order than if there was no government at all. He says rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good. And you'll have praise from the same, for He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain, for He is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on Him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Don't just obey the government because you don't want to get in trouble, you don't want to get a fine, you don't want to get jail time. Do it for the sake of having a clear conscience before God and before men. This is going to hit home for some of us. Verse 6, it, we just finished out the month of April. He says, for because of this you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. 
There are those who have professed to be Christians who live in the world who say, I'm not a citizen of earth. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. The government's going to waste my money. They're going to do sinful things with it. I will not pay taxes. Well, guess what? The Bible says you should pay your taxes. When the people came to Jesus, they wanted to trip him up. There were those who were against Rome, of course, being, uh, ha- having their presence there in Jerusalem and in Israel. And they said, should we pay our taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, whose face is that on the coin? They held up the coin. They said, it's Caesar's. He said, then you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And you give to God what belongs to God. And then there was that occasion where Jesus said to his disciples, yeah, you are sons of the king. You are sons of God. And Jesus himself being the son of God, you're above that in this world. He says, but so they won't be offended. He told Peter to go fishing, right? And he caught the fish. And what was in the fish's mouth? The coin. And he said, take it and go pay the tax. Now, I could pay taxes that way. You go fishing and you come home with the exact change. Verse 7 in Romans 13, he said, Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So Paul and Peter, they're on the same page. This is God's expectation for His children. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter tells us to submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. He says, whether to the king as supreme or to governors. That is... Whether you're talking about the emperor who's at the top of the hierarchy or if you're talking about the regional governors that he's appointed. You are to live in submission to them all. And I think his point is this. Those in those lower levels of government get no less respect than the emperor himself. For us, in our context, submission extends, respect extends all the way from the President of the United States to all those who are in Congress to all the judges and justices justices at each level, the governor of our own state, the mayor of our own town, from top to bottom, from the highest level of, of authority to the least, we are called to submit The Bible is actually clear on what the role of government is. And Peter summarizes it here in verse 14. We won't spend a sermon talking about the role of government, but here it is in a nutshell. He says, As to those who were sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. That's what the government's job is. A human government patterned after God's intentions is one who punishes those who do evil... So you've got to have your law enforcement. You've got to have laws. And to praise those who do good. To give recognition. We do some things like that. People get medals and awards. And I think those are good things. Because when you exalt those things which are commendable. And people see that which is evil consistently punished. What does that motivate the people to do? To do that which is commendable whether they are Christians or not. So that's the role of government, to punish evil, to praise those who do good. Anything beyond that, well, that's just out of the way, isn't it? 
But let me tell you this clearly. The faithfulness of those in government to do what God expects of them does not determine whether or not we should be faithful to do what God expects of us. You're going to have some leaders that are better than others. You're going to have those who truly love the Lord and who want to live holy lives themselves and to lead others in that way. And we praise God for those. I hope that some come out of our church and other churches. I I wish more Christians, Bible-believing, Christian-living Christians would take on those roles, would run for office. I'd vote for you. I couldn't endorse you from the pulpit, but I'd vote for you. But whether or not those in authority love the Lord and obey His Word, or whether they're sinful and wicked men, their faithfulness does not determine yours. You are to be obedient regardless of who's in power and submit yourself to their authority. You see, there is no perfect government on earth. Never has been. I don't want to burst any bubbles, but there never will be. I've never voted for someone that I just really liked. It's just that bad now. (laughs) There is no perfect government on earth. We shouldn't expect it. But while we're here under whatever form of imperfect government we live, we should live faithfully and submit to that authority. What about leaders who are outright sinful? What about those who are just wicked men? That question comes up naturally because we see them. (laughs) It's so clear that there are people like that in authority. In our country and others. And I would like to simply answer that question with another question. Who was in charge when Peter wrote this letter? Who was the the king, the emperor, when Peter says submit to the government? Nero. We're talking about the man who killed his own mother, his own brother, his own wife, who married both men and women, who lived the most immoral life you could possibly imagine. Nero. Nero, this man is in charge. This wicked, sinful man is ruling over the empire at this time. And these Christians are just doing the best they can to survive. They get their letter from Peter. They get, uh, you know, about a third of the way through. And Peter says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Seriously, Peter, it's Nero. Some of you feel that way about those in power now. Seriously, I have to submit to that guy? Listen, I promise you, your conditions are way better than these Christians living under Nero. Your conditions are much better than most Christians who have ever lived, period. You know, if we should take advantage of the liberties that we've been given in our country. We are in a very unique situation. We are an anomaly in the history of the world. If we don't like somebody, their term's going to come to an end, and we can vote somebody else in to take their place. That's amazing. But we should take advantage of those liberties, the ones that are granted to us in our own form of government. You know, when our rights have been violated, we can go to court. We can make appeals. We can vote and we can try to elect people who align with our biblical morality. We can run for office ourselves. 
We have so many liberties that are granted to us and are protected by our form of government. But in all circumstances, and during the terms of all officials, we must conduct ourselves honorably, respecting those who hold the position of authority, even if you plan on voting them out at a later time. Our natural disposition as Christians ought not to be protest and rebellion. Our natural disposition ought to be submission. That's especially hard for us because we're Americans. I mean, the country was built on protest, right? Rebellion. It's in our blood. We see something we don't like, we're going to march into the streets. And that's okay as long as you do it legally and in a respectful, God-honoring way. You can protest. But our disposition ought not be that of rebellion. We're not freedom fighters. We are Christians. We are citizens of God's kingdom who are here only for a little while. And God has called us to be submissive to the government that's in power over us. Verse 15 drives it home. He says this, For this is the will of God. You really don't have to wonder what God's will for your life is. It's actually all over the Bible. Just read it. On various occasions, Scripture speaks so plainly as to say, This is the will of God for you. Colon. And there's your answer. And one of these things that is the will of God for every Christian is that you should live your life in submission to those who are in authority over you. And don't forget that one of the purposes in conducting ourselves honorably is that we want to preserve our testimony. We want to advance the witness of the gospel. So Peter says, verse 15, this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. That you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Men, Christians in Peter's day were the oddballs of society. And really, we probably still should be. It became really the easy thing to do in Peter's day to blame Christians for tragedies and to make all kinds of wild accusations against them. Nero blamed them when uh, the, the fire happened in Rome and they were accused of cannibalism. Why? Because they met together and said, this is my body broken for you. And they would eat it. And this is the blood of the covenant. And they would drink it. And people thought they were cannibals. They're eating this guy's blood and body. They were accused of incest. Because these people they had these close relationships with, they all called each other brother and sister. They were accused of atheism. Really? Christians accused of atheism? Why? Because they didn't worship this pantheon of Roman gods and they wouldn't burn incense to Caesar. And since they didn't worship all their gods, they just assumed they were atheists. But what was the Christians' response to all these accusations that came against them? Let me ask you this. What would be your response if you get blamed for a tragedy as a Christian, or if somebody says, y'all are a bunch of cannibals, you guys commit incest, you're atheists, 
You're going to get fired up. No, we are not. And launch into a lengthy explanation of why you do what you do. But the right response, the response that Peter calls for, is very simple. Submit to those in authority and actively do good. Submit to those who are in authority and be actively doing good. That's your argument for Christianity. That's how you convince the evildoers that you're not just crazy. (laughs) Okay, they might still think you're crazy. He says this, he says that you may put to silence. That is, the the word means to, to muzzle, to gag, to restrain. You want to shut up the people who are speaking against Christianity? You want to muzzle them? You want to gag them? You want to restrain their words? Submit to authority and do good. He says, silence the ignorance. Uh, the, the word suggests culpable ignorance. Not just a mere lack of knowledge, but just a refusal to know the truth. He calls them foolish men. Those who are without reason. Those who are senseless in what they're prone to say about Christianity. Here's the problem though. We tend to give them more reasons to talk foolishly than reasons not to. The right response to these things is simply to submit to authority and be actively doing good. You want to silence people who attack Christianity? You want to silence the ignorance of foolish men? Don't fight back the way they fight against you. That is not the way we fight. Our warfare is different. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't take up the sword. We don't attack them on social media like they attack us. You submit to authority, you do good, and you take up the sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the Word of God. That's your weapon. Don't fight back the way they fight you. You only give them more ammunition when you do that. Simply live faithfully to the Word of God. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep making disciples. Submit to those who have authority over you and do good to others, even those who speak against you. And I would say especially those who speak against you. That is how you silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's how you fight back. That's how you just might win them to the Lord. Verse 16, he says, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. You are free. Amen? You are free in Christ. You, even if you live under Nero, you're free. Even if you live under the most oppressive, tyrannical government in human history, you as a Christian are free. You're free from the curse of the law. You are freed from sin. You are free from bondage to Satan. You are free. And what did Jesus say? If the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. But you don't use your freedom as a cloak, a veil, a covering, an excuse for sin. Don't justify your sin your rebellion over, uh, uh, against whatever authority is over you. Because you're free in Christ. That's not an excuse. 
He says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Your freedom isn't freedom to partake in whatever sin you'd like. Your freedom is freedom to serve God and obey Him. And Peter actually says you are free as bondservants of God. That makes no sense. You're free as a servant. You're free as a slave. You are slaves of God. The reality is this. You will serve someone. You are somebody's slave. You will have a master. And oh, what a master is our Lord. We are free as we submit ourselves to Him. I am free, and I am free because I'm a slave to God. And if I submit to Him as my master, I will submit myself to those whom He has put in authority over me on earth. If I want to submit to God, I'm going to submit to the other authorities over me. Verse 17 could serve as a motto. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And we don't disagree with honor all people. We believe all human beings are made in the image of God and worthy of respect. Christians agree with that. Love the brotherhood. That is, love the church. Love your Christian family. Christians agree with that. We love one another here. Fear God. Christians agree with that. Submit yourself in holy reverence and fear to God. And in line with all those other things that we agree with, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, he adds this, honor the king. Whether you like him or not, whether you agree with him or not, even if he is wicked and evil, Honor the king. You want to honor the Lord? Take this home with you. Honor the Lord by honoring the king. Honor the Lord by honoring the king. So I'll simply ask you this. Who is it that is in authority over you to whom you need to begin showing respect and submission? And we've talked specifically about government, but we have authorities in our lives beyond just the government. That may be someone you work for. It may be a teacher, a professor. It may be a parent. Who is it in your life that you need to begin showing respect to and submitting to their authority because God has placed them over you? When you submit to them, you're submitting to God. When you resist them, you're resisting God. You need to show honor where it's due. Submit to God. First in salvation. Because you can't do this if you're not a Christian. <laughs> you can't live this holy life. God loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. When you were a rebel and a sinner and deserving hell, Jesus came and took your place on the cross, took your punishment. When you repent and put your trust in Him, He'll forgive you and give you eternal life. 
He'll give you His Holy Spirit and help you live this holy life that's pleasing to God. Submit to God in obedience. And submit to the human authority that God's placed over you. Whoever that may be. Bow with me as we pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the authority that Your Word has over our lives. And so as we desire to submit to You, our God, help us to submit to those who are in authority over us. Whatever level that may be, whether it's the King as supreme or to governors He's appointed, whether it's an employer, a teacher, a parent, help us to show respect and honor and to submit in a way that honors You. And Lord, should someone here be living their life for themselves and they've never submitted themselves to You, They've never been born again, Lord. I pray that your spirit would draw them in Jesus' name.